Hey friends, welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. My name's Matt. We're so glad you're tracking with us. Jesus Collective is a new relational network of churches and leaders with a vision to unite, amplify, and equip this Jesus-centered movement that God is raising up all over the place. During this pilot season, we're experimenting with different ways to build relationships with people in this movement, to put language to what Jesus-centered means, and to have meaningful and honest equipping conversations about the issues and opportunities facing our churches in this increasingly post-Christian context we find ourselves in. So, this podcast is one of those tools. You might find a number of different types of conversation formats shared here, and we hope you find it meaningful and engaging. You can learn more about us, join our mailing list, find information about upcoming online and in-person events, all that good stuff, at our microsite at JesusCollective.com, or you can find us on social media. And hey, we love hearing feedback and ideas and just meeting new Jesus-y people, so you can always reach out by email at connect at JesusCollective.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. My name's John Hand. I am the kind of taking point on the leadership formation aspects of Jesus Collective. And um, I want to throw it over to my colleague, Matt. And Matt Miles is giving kind of point leadership for Jesus Collective. And uh, Matt's going to kind of open us with a little bit of greetings and some updates about Jesus Collective. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, John. Welcome, everybody. If uh, you're a familiar face, and I know there are some names I recognize there, then welcome back. It's great to see you again. If you're new, welcome to Jesus Collective. We are starting a new relational network of churches and pastors and leaders who all come from different contexts. That's actually been something that's been really exciting to see come together. But we all share in common this desire to advance a really, truly Jesus-centered kingdom. And we're in the process of even just defining and shaping what we mean by that. But that's the thread that holds us together that we're excited about. And we say we want to unite this movement by acting as a place that's a hub for ongoing relationship and belonging, connectivity. Um, we say we want to amplify it. We want to give it more voice, give it more visibility, make it more identifiable and accessible. But we don't want to stop there. And today is a good example of that. We want to be really intentional about equipping this movement as well, leaning in and actually providing practical tools and how to um, and ways to actually equip pastors and leaders to be the best versions of themselves and advance their churches and communities in a Jesus-centered way, real practical development, training, and formation of leaders. So that's part of what we're doing today. And if you're looking for some context, you're joining in Jesus Collective in one of many different engagement touch points that we've created through this season of pilot that we're calling it. We're experimenting, we're testing and learning and discerning where the spirit is calling this new network. And we're really trying to do a few things, validate the need that we sense God calling us into. We're trying to meet people and form relationships and listen and discern direction. And we're trying to build some momentum and some practical infrastructure ahead of launching more widely and providing clearer paths for people to be more connected in an ongoing way, starting probably sometime in 2020. So take advantage of that. Dive in today. And I'd encourage you to realize that we're all part of actually shaping something that God is inviting us in to partner with him in doing right now. Um, So consider yourself someone who is green lighted to give input and feedback. Um, And let's behave to how we want to end as a network. We want to be a collective. We call it that for a reason. So let's make this something that happens together and not just a commercial transaction. You have the ability to lean in and help us make that a reality today. Um, And just before we we get going, um, I had a great chat, as I've had many, with a pastor last week that really personified why we're doing what we're doing on on an event like today. And, you know, it was a great chat, but one of the things he said, and we agreed on, was he said, yeah, theology matters, but shouldn't we really just be obsessed with 
actually following Jesus and leading our communities towards following Jesus more and more and getting to know him more and more. And we just had a real moment of, of resonance on that. And I think it's true that theology does matter and our orientation towards God and what we believe him to look like and who we are as a result of that matters deeply. But ultimately then, we want to be a network who takes that orientation and doesn't just stop there by defining ourselves in terms of what we believe, but actually is a network that lives out the importance of following Jesus. And, you know, today is a great example of us putting that into practice. We need ways. We need equipment to actually do that really, really well. And when we had a, a chat with Danielle not too long ago, this great imagery came up of Jesus Collective almost being like hardware for the movement that needs to be loaded with software. It needs to be loaded with um, the way to actually train people in following Jesus and shaping our lives around him because we don't just want to be a network that stops at thinking really good things and believing really good things. Um, so we're really excited to invite her today to be our guest. Um, her and her team have been leaning into this thing called infinitum, which is this beautiful set of rhythms and practices that she'll explain to you. Um, but we, in this spirit of testing and learning and experimenting, really sense that this could be one of those things that helps us get a better view of what it actually looks like to lead our communities practically into following Jesus and discipling each other on a day-to-day -day basis. So we want to unpack that today. Consider this like a laboratory for us to be unpacking and experimenting with that concept today. And every time we have that conversation about actually being a network that wants to train each other and following Jesus, it resonates with people. So hopefully that's true for you today as well. So we'll be back at the end to talk about a few other gatherings and touch points with Jesus Collective that are coming up. Um, hope you can stick around for that. Uh, in the meantime, let's, let's get going with the main event. So I'll pass it, up, pass it back to the team. In the spirit of us building the collective aspect of Jesus Collective, uh, we've asked our friend Keith if he would just share a little bit of uh, kind of where he's coming from and how he found Jesus Collective and what, as a pastor, what are some of his hopes for Jesus Collective? So Keith Smith, I would like to welcome you to Jesus Collective. I would love for you to share a little bit with us of kind of where you live and what church you're leading and how did you hear about Jesus Collective? Yeah, awesome. Hey, thanks, John. Um, greetings, everyone. I am a transplant to uh, Northeast Ohio. Uh, my family and I are in Worcester, Ohio. I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh, so right now, uh, this is my best life, uh, ending of summer, uh, the beginning of uh, fall. I don't think there's any place more beautiful than uh, Ohio in the fall. But shortly after that, I'll miss home. Winter's coming, <laughs> Winter's coming soon. Um, <laughs> but my wife and I, uh, we moved to Ohio. Uh, she's actually from Akron. Uh, we moved here to work at a children's home, uh, residential treatment center. Uh, we did that type of work together as a couple uh, from 2000 to about 2010. Um, and uh, I transitioned more into more management areas. But uh, that's what brought us to Worcester. Love the city. I uh, ended up staying here. Uh, we have four daughters. And uh, we planted a church here back in 2012. Um, our background, uh, we both, my wife and I both grew up in a very conservative um, 
pretty strict uh, Church of God group. Um, and uh, we kind of experienced our first deconstruction transition out of that uh, type of environment and uh, just was awakened by God's love and grace. And uh, that led us into more of uh, the charismatic uh, prophetic stream uh, and just got an incredible revelation of the goodness of God. Uh, and I think that just put us on a trajectory of continually uh, being uh, wrecked by his, his love. And so uh, our church that we planted in 2012 uh, really uh, grew really well in our community. Uh, you know, us being uh, black pastors, uh, we just planted a church. We didn't, you know, have a, a network or a group that we worked with, just kind of uh, took some risk of obedience and uh, people just started gathering, but it was interesting. Uh, majority of people that were gathering uh, were were white, and um, so we we pastor a predominantly white church. Uh, there are a few other uh, ethnicities that uh, gather with us, uh, but that created a really uh, intriguing and interesting dynamic um, within our community. Anyway, since that time, uh, we've just continued to kind of. Uh, grow in our journey and uh, we've come to a point now where we uh, feel like we've gone through another season of uh, deconstructing I don't always like that term uh, some people call it a water to wine journey or uh, just I, I call it falling more in love with Jesus and uh, Jesus becoming more central to uh, what we do and so uh, we're church planters, uh, pastors. My wife is a worship leader, a voice coach, and um, came about learning about Jesus Collective. Um, I, I have a friend, um, J.R. Roscoe, uh, through, it's connected in Missio Alliance, and uh, just uh, connected with him. He's in Canton, not too far from me. And um, just following uh, Missio uh, learned about um, the Jesus Collective gathering they had in Virginia, uh, also through Bruxy Cavey's uh, uh, social media accounts. So that's kind of how I learned about uh, what was happening. It intrigued me. It, it sounded interesting, like something I was looking for. And so that's kind of how I, I started uh, connecting with Jesus Collective. That's great, man. Yeah. So, t so tell me um – in in uh, you know in about a minute, tell me what do you hope for Jesus Collective? No, that's that's good. I I really love um, the collective part, um, being together with people who are like minded, same heart, mm -hmm. um, and experiencing similar things and and seeing uh, God move in similar ways. Uh, I feel like we could go further together. Um, I, I, I kind of liken it to trade routes. Uh, that's hmm. kind of some of the words that I've been using or phrases. Uh, people from different backgrounds, uh, different streams uh, are forging trade routes. And uh, it's like a, a connection is happening. And some of the best things that are coming from different moves of God or uh, different streams, we're, we're kind of realizing it's like, wow, you know, uh, you have spices or silks or art or but it's, it's, I'm finding it in uh, some of the practices, um, 
contemplative, uh, you know, liturgical um, areas that uh, maybe I would not have encountered in my background or my stream. But people who are connecting with uh, with Jesus as the center mm-hmm. are forging these trade routes that are really bringing some of the best uh, that their movements have stewarded over the years. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's almost like a potluck also. It's kind of like I'll take a little <laughs> this, this, you know, I've never tried this before, but now I crave it and I need it. Um, but this is what uh, I, I believe is happening. But it's also conversations of people who are recognizing that there is uh, an ecclesiastical shift. Something's happening uh, where uh, God is moving. And to have people who are recognizing this and having conversations about it, uh, is really, really special. So uh, I want to learn, I want to listen, uh, and I want to grow with other people who uh, just really love Jesus and putting him in the front. I think you must be a preacher because a little, a little. <laughs> you, just, you just used a beautiful metaphor of the trade route. Thank you for that. That's a real gift. Yeah. Yeah. And And in the spirit of that, I just want to, I want to also say, you know, Keith, we've been talking offline mm-hmm. um, just about the need in Jesus Collective for the, for the whole body of Christ to be expressed, yeah. not just the white body of Christ mm-hmm. to be expressed. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've asked you to help mm-hmm. be a champion and partner with, with Jesus Collective in keeping that banner, raising yeah. that banner of, of the clarion call to all brothers and sisters who want to keep and put Jesus at the center, uh, that we would be a diverse expression of the body of Christ uh, coming together around Jesus. And so, yeah, brother, I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Well, hey, we, we need to transition and um, thank you, Keith. Uh, If we were all in a room, we would be clapping and saying thank you and appreciating you. And, um, yeah, well, let's keep in touch, friend. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. All right. Um, well, we are here uh, now to talk about infinitum and spiritual practices and a little bit of Danielle Strickland's kind of history and leadership. And if we, if we are a movement, which Greg Boyd calls this a proto-movement, it's a movement that's still taking shape. And if we are a movement, then that movement, if it's going to be anchored in Jesus, has to be sustained by spiritual practices that will keep us alive and transformed and in tune with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ and sustain us so that we can become a movement that empowers and that sees more people come to faith in Jesus. And my friend, Tara Beth Leach, uh, is joining us, and she's going to be kind of taking point in this first half of the conversation with Danielle. And so, Tara Beth, welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Um, I'm sure many of you don't know me, most of you. Um, so I'll introduce myself first. My name is Tara Beth Leach, 
and I am the senior pastor at First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, California, affectionately known as PazNaz, and I've been there for three and a half years now. And um, I wanted to share a little bit what has attracted me to Jesus Collective. I stepped into the pulpit. I was installed as a senior pastor at PazNaz um, during a really polarizing time. 2016. I think most of us know in the U.S. side what happened in 2016, an election um, that wasn't the beginning of the polarization of the church, but really uh, fueled um, just a fire that was already happening. Um, and um, and even before that, um, there was just a lot of division that was happening even over me stepping into the church. Um, my gender was incredibly polarizing for the church and um, started a lot of conversations within the church. And one of the things that I began to notice is that we were really off-center in our conversations, really off-center. And what I mean by that um, is if we are a people who declare that Jesus is Lord and that we live under the reign and rule of King Jesus, there's got to be a better way to have these conversations. And um, I began to observe a lot of antagonisms. Um, we were off-center. Jesus wasn't at the center of these conversations. Um, uh, understanding what it means to be a kingdom people um, with Jesus at the center was off. Uh, ideology um, was at the center. Um, uh, partisan politics was at the center. Being right was at the center. Uh, making sure people knew what we were against and what we were for was at the center. It seemed to me that so much is at the center um, other than Jesus. And so, you know, for me as a pastor, I felt like the last three and a half years, um, at, uh, like I was alone in a lot of ways, trying to navigate, shepherd a church uh, to be a church on mission, to be a church that was being formed in Christ and looking for other pastors that were wanting to think about this differently, to think about a third way, to think about a way that wasn't so polarizing. Um, and so Missio Alliance, uh, like Keith, Missio Alliance has been one of those spaces for me that has been incredibly impactful. Um, and like Keith, I follow Bruxy Cavey, Greg Boyd, and I've been, I, I'm a um, graduate of Northern Theological Seminary. And so I've been shaped, while well, I'm a Nazarene pastor, I've very much been shaped by many different Anabaptists and Wesleyan Anabaptists. And so when um, Jesus Collective started going live, and I started hearing testimonies of pastors who were saying, hey, something's not right uh, in the water, the water's not right. Um, there's, there's got to be a better way uh, with Jesus at the center. I thought, this is it. This is, this is a conversation space that I want to be a part of. Um, and so I was immediately captivated. And one of those, one of those people that sent an email and said, I've, I've got to be a part of this. I don't know what it looks like. I don't even think I have the time. Um, but I want to make the time. I want to make this happen. I want to be a part of these conversations. And I think what, what Jesus Collective is doing today, you know, as, as we're going through, as you're going through this soft launch, is creating some of these spaces with um, thought leaders, uh, such as Daniel Strickland. And so I'm so honored to co-host this with John and the rest of the team and uh, to lean into some of the things that have been bubbling up in Danielle's heart and some of the things that she's been up to. So Danielle, welcome. We are really glad Thanks. to be here. Thank you for taking the time um, because there's, I, I would imagine a lot of the 
those who are on the call today are pastors like me that are saying, we feel alone. We feel like we're out on an island. Um, surely there are tools. Surely there are resources out there. And I know that you have been working really, really hard on creating some of those paths and tools for pastors. And one of the things that, that I love about you, Danielle, is that um, you care so much about mission and justice and all the years that you spent in the Salvation Army creating initiatives. Um, it's just awesome. And we could talk so much just about your years um, within urban settings. Um, but for you, it's not just about justice. You also care about mobilizing uh, people to transformational living, um, that people would be living in the likeness of Christ. Yes, participating in the mission of God. And so, I think, you know, these things don't just, your passion uh, for mobilizing people to transformational living, these things don't just happen in a vacuum. Uh, this, this passion that you have um, is likely the result of some real pivotal moments in your life, things that have happened that have, that have woke you up to help you see, you know what, we are in a formational crisis in the church. And so to start, I wonder if you could share some of your story, Danielle, and share about some of those real pivotal events that help shape who you are today. Yeah, sure. What an honor to be with you guys. And um, like everybody has already said, like I believe we're living in a new reformation. I think it's post-denominational. It's Jesus-centric. And uh, as much as it's confusing, it's maybe one of the most exciting times to be alive as a Christian, I think. Boxes and like the walls start crumbling down. There's like so much space and this incredible invitation God's giving us to a boundless uh, way of life. Uh, for me, the Jesus centric stuff that's mobilizing people, transforming uh, the future, this all pivotal moments. Like, obviously, the first encounter I had with Jesus uh, that was like tangible for real was in a jail cell. I was a juvenile delinquent, I had grown up in the church. But for me, Jesus, uh, God specifically was perpetually disappointed with my behavior. I was naturally gifted at being bad. And uh, <laughs> so I was sort of rightfully always on the wrong side of uh, even the law, uh, the, the Christian law and also the actual legitimate law. And uh, I was in a jail cell. Somebody came and visited me, hugged me, didn't say anything, like didn't try to shame me or convince me otherwise of other behavior, just said that, that she loved me, a selfish army officer. And then shortly after that, I was alone in the cell and I had a, a full-on vision of Jesus, an open vision. I don't know, whatever that was. Uh, it, I felt the tangible presence of Jesus in my cell. He did the same thing, wrapped his arms around me and he whispered in my ear, I love you. It was legitimately the first time I had ever fully understood that he was not against me, that he was for me. And uh, I'm pretty sure I read about that or heard about that in my life before, but it was the first time really the penny fully dropped for me. And uh, even then I didn't, it wasn't like an instant conversion where I was like, okay, fine, I'm a Christian now. Like even then I still was like, well, gee, I guess I better clean up my life a bit, a bit you know, if I'm going to be used by God and then pursued trying to do that to no avail. I'm really bad at cleaning up my own life. It, it, it turns out. And so I finally, uh, finally sort of had this moment where I was like, okay, I, I can't, I can't be clean. I can't be good. Uh, I can't do this. And I'm willing to surrender my life to you. And so that's kind of, uh, for me, that was my first encounter with Jesus. That was like, I described someone turning on a light on the inside of me and me going, Oh, I get it now. God is good. And, uh, and then I got special permission from my probation officer to go to, uh, 
a mission trip uh, to Africa and there accidentally led somebody into a relationship with Jesus through one of those like really super boring um, tracks, you know, just like for spiritual law type thing. I don't even think it was like the legit for spiritual laws. I think it was a ripoff. And, um, you know, so it was just, uh, and I, I didn't believe, you know, I made this girl go through this track, like, three or four times because I didn't believe that it was happening. And I think when I was reflecting the next day on it, I, what I realized is that I believe that God could save her for sure. Cause he saved me. But I, what I didn't believe, which would then change the trajectory of my life was that he could use me to help save her. And when I got that, it reorientated my life around this, like maybe my life is about something more than my own self. And I call it sort of like a second conversion so from sort of like, whoa, God loves me to like, whoa, God loves this great big world and I get to be part of this. And then uh, really I didn't, my mother describes it as I didn't change speeds, I just changed direction. And then just really tried, uh, activism is probably in my makeup. I like a really good party. I like to stay busy. If I'm not busy, I'm in trouble. So uh, began pursuing church leadership in the Salvation Army. It was the fastest way that I could get to my whole life being about helping other people was through the Salvation Army. So I did that, and uh, and we just uh, had churches in rural. We had a church in a rural community for a few years, where God did this incredible work. Actually, among all the churches, we had this ministerial association that uh, I just had a vision for winning the whole city, and became president of the ministerial association there. And so there was about fifteen churches in this community that banded together and decided that we would not celebrate our church's growth if it was at the expense of another church growth. So that we would only celebrate if we all grew together. And that was the season of all those transformation videos. I don't know if you remember that, but kind of oozing charismatic, like we could literally see the city one and we were doing citywide campaigns and just, and because it was my first posting as a Christian leader leading a church, uh, I just thought that was normal. I really, like, I just, I had no idea there was other things happening. I just was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, it's only just get like in a couple of years, we're going to have this city one and we'll be on to the next one, you know, just sort of that kind of, uh, naivety, I guess. And uh, it wasn't until years later that I realized, oh, like churches don't even get along. Like this thing doesn't, <laughs> this isn't a thing. Like, <laughs> and I realized like what a wonder and a sign really and a great gift it was for me right at the formation of my own Christian leadership that I saw the beautiful gift of the church together and working together on mission. So I think that was a pivotal moment for me. Uh, then I moved to inner city, downtown east side of Vancouver, Canada's poorest coastal code with a real desire to incarnate, to live among a people and surprised myself by encountering Jesus there already. I thought I was bringing him, but it turns out he actually is in the poor. And so had a real kind of just learning experience. And a pivotal moment in that experience was not only that I was finding more of Jesus in the place that I thought Jesus wasn't. So that was, again, I was discovering Jesus in people that shouldn't, according to my own Christian narrative, shouldn't know Jesus or didn't know Jesus. And I was encountering a depth of faith and understanding that was teaching me so many things on so many deeper levels. So it was breaking open all my like neat boxes. And then I also, we started a 24 seven prayer room. And I don't know if everyone's familiar with the 24 seven prayer movement, but I read uh, the book Red Moon Rising by Pete Gregg and, I was, and our, we had a team of people that were like, let's do a prayer room. So we took a slum rooming house and we turned it into a prayer room. We prayed nonstop for three and a half years, kind of by accident. We were only going to do it a week and then we just couldn't stop praying. And that prayer room was a pivotal moment in my life of uh, the sustaining practices of Jesus, the 
uh, prayer, just how to pray and how central prayer is to mission. And what we discovered over that three and a half years and sort of the poorest postal code, like the worst place is that we were the most joyful, kind of perpetually refreshed uh, community that, you know, it doing this kind of like deep, hard, uh, filled with injustice and like raging against the, you know, we weren't getting hard, we were getting soft. And we realized that the center place of Jesus, this prayer place was uh, pivotal uh, to that. And so there was all kinds of things we learned that. So, and I could go on, but those are some of the, I think the key pivotal moments. So when I was uh, with a whole bunch of people in uh, England, I had a friend of mine who was a Christian leader who crashed and burned along with a lot of people probably that you know, who just crashed and burned this sort of like model of a type A leader who has everything together and can only be mentored by like people who are even better than them. Uh, was sort of exposed as this facade. It wasn't working that uh, these Christians were Christian leaders that I highly esteemed who were way more talented than me uh, were crashing and burning. And we had this conversation, a few friends of ours who were all at work in Christian leadership in different places on the globe. And we just said, we were friends with this person that really hurt us that, that, that they uh, uh, really didn't even believe anymore. I mean, it was like marriage, it was morality, but it was also this, their own belief system that were, that had crumbled. And we just said like, how is this even possible? And how did this happen? Where were we? Why weren't we there? Like what, what happened? And then also, how are you? <laughs> and it got like, we just turned the notch up on like personal conversations where we were like, are we really legitimately following? This is one of our main questions. Like, are we even really following Jesus? Or is just this, this thing that we decided to do 25 years ago and it's been fun along the way, but really like, but today am I following Jesus? And it wasn't even just about practice or even just about felt presence, but it was about intention and like intentionality about the practice of putting Jesus at the daily decisions that we were making, even in our, even in our ministries, but also in our families and our lives and our marriages and our relationships with other people. So we just asked these questions of each other and we quickly realized that maybe we weren't really following Jesus today. Like maybe if we were really super honest with ourselves, we would come to this kind of weird, lukewarm Jesus follower-ish. And even though we were preaching something radically different than that, you know, we were calling people to radically something like radical, but we weren't actually really living that daily. And a bunch of us that were part of that group were also uh, have led discipleship missional training schools. And so we actually were like, okay, when were we at our height? Like, when were we following Jesus last in terms of like real intentional practices? And what were those practices that kept us on track? And we kind of put all of these like best practices together, including, by the way, one of the things that we started realizing when we went around the group and asked each other, what are we most proud of having accomplished with our lives? You know, 25 years of grassroots ministry, what are we most proud of? And as we went around the circle, not one of us set a program or a building every single one of us named people. We just named people after person after person, realizing that we were most proud of who we had made integrate Jesus followers. And then we were also like, then what are we doing? You know, just like we should be, the primary aim of our lives should be to make more people and not more things. And so this blossomed into this experiment just with this group that we were going to hold each other accountable in a way that wasn't just like, hey, guess what? You're not measuring up in one more area of your life. You should feel ashamed, you know? And it wasn't just going to be like, did you read your Bible today? Because we know that we could read our Bible today. 
and even have a prayer time and still not have Jesus at the center of our lives. So we wanted to actually hold each other accountable in such a way, more like a 12 step program where we're like, we're trying to stay sober, (laughs) you know, like we're trying to stay Jesus centered. And uh, here are some ways in which this is working for us on a daily basis so that uh, for today, and uh, again, I leaned heavily on the 12 step program because I've used it in my own life to great effect. And just some of those discipleship essentials of like, just for today is Jesus the center of my life. And here's some of my experience and hope about how that's possible. So we did this for a year. We kind of came up with a system daily, weekly, monthly. And after the year, we all got together again and we said, how'd it go? You know, like, how's it going? And we were all, it was so amazing. We were all like, I have never been in love with Jesus more in my whole life. I've never had more of an active, vibrant faith. Like I am more excited about the future than I've ever been. Like I'm not even fighting cynicism today, which was like a ma- like cynicism is a major fight on the grassroots, especially, but um, but even in leadership, the higher you go, the more cynical the, you know, the fake the fight is. And so we just were like, well, gee, we should probably share this and um, see if it might help some other people. And Infinitum was born really out of that deep desire to just share our experience and hope and sort of a systemic way, like a way of following Jesus. Because what we found is that everybody is hungry to follow Jesus, but it's the how that gets, it's the how that gets us a little bit lost. And um, so we just came up with a real simple, easy to do, although I shouldn't say easy, simple, not easy. That's the trouble. If it was easy, (laughs) it'd be different. It's simple, uh, but simple is not easy. And we just have begun to be practitioners and people who share it with uh, folks. And it's been a game changer for our lives and for the people who've tried it out. So that's the software of keeping Jesus centric to our lives. Does that help? That's a long answer. I'm sorry. No, no, that was a perfect answer. That's powerful. And thanks for giving us light into just this process up to where you are today, this journey that you have been on, really powerful. And I want to go back to something that you shared at the beginning that um, I think would be helpful for all of us um, to hear from you some of the things that we're also seeing. Um, you, know, you mentioned at the very beginning that the walls are crumbling. Um, and you shared this very personal story of a mentor that you were walking with that burned out. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, the crumbling of the walls and this burnout is happening across um, the entire church in a lot of ways. We're not just seeing couples burning out, but we're seeing the curtains being pulled back on entire systems that we thought were great systems. And all of a sudden we're realizing, oh my goodness, uh, this isn't what we thought it was. This All that was happening within this church, this isn't what we thought that it was. And one of the things that we often talk about that I've talked about with John Hand and others at Jesus Collective is that we are in a formational crisis for sure. And I, and I think we can talk about that. But I, I think first, you know, the walls are crumbling. The curtains have been pulled back. Things are being exposed. Daniel, I'm curious what you would say some of the symptoms are. Um, that we are seeing um, across the church, the people of God? What are some of the symptoms um, that we see in this crisis that we are in? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, how long do we have? Um, I think the symptoms are plenty. We'll it's, yeah, <laughs> we'll stop you. <laughs> okay, um, like I think for one thing, I think the Herculean uh, male leader uh, is, you know, is, obviously not working for the church. Um, and I think that's a great grace. It's, it's a great surprise. And I think this is related to the idolization of like the 
modern self, right? That there, you know, there's a leader. This is like all the way back to the Old Testament, right? Like we need a king. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and that king has to be like strong and Herculean. And and I have often when I'm talking to leaders, I share about a moment in a movie theater when I was watching the Hercules movie with Dwayne Johnson. And uh, if ever there was a God man, it would be Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And my husband agrees, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we were in the middle of that, that movie and there's this moment and, and Hercules is a myth. Of course, he's created this myth to, to just get jobs, you know, and it's kind of working for everybody because it puts fear in the enemy, but it also puts faith in the people that he's fighting for. So like we have Hercules on our side, like, blah, blah, blah. and he's, and what he does is he goes in to fight these battles that no man can fight alone but he has a secret team and the secret team comes in sort of stage left behind and another exit and they fight, they defeat this thing. And then the team exits stage left and the, you know, Hercules comes out with the big red capes are going Hercules, you know? And I always feel like, like literally it describes the senior pastor role in the church, right? Like the team literally comes in stage left and exits stage left. And the Herculean pastor is like this, this last one. And anyway, there's a scene in the movie where Hercules is fighting in the front of a battle and he gets, uh, he gets cut with a sword on his shoulder. He's still fighting, but the captain of his secret team sees it happening. So he goes all the way through the front line of the battle. He gets to Hercules. He gets off of his horse and he goes over to Hercules and he covers his wound with his cape and he whispers in Hercules's ear, never let them see you bleed. And as soon as it happened, it was the weirdest thing. But like the, for me, the movie just went black. And I saw like a, I like had a vision of this crucified Christ, like just bleeding everywhere. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, this is actually just pre-infinitum too. I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you can lead like Hercules or you can lead like Jesus, but you can't lead like both. And I feel like the crumbling of this, you know, uh, we've got it all together. So whether that's an ecclesiological framework that says we're in and other people are out or Christians that are like living under this external code of pressure to like live up to a certain religious code uh, and not be honest or even the flip side of that, do whatever they want and pretend like it doesn't matter or whether it's a leadership structure that is like insisting people be covered and not seen and not human and not suffer and not like none of this room for all of the realities of life and uh, what it means to be a Christian today. And also isolation that we're all so petrified of not living up to these things that we can't share our, you know, like I ask leaders a lot, like, who do you confess your sins to? You know, and it's just awkward silence. So it's just like chirp, bird chirping, you know, like, no, but like what? And, um, you know, it's where we can get a, a page out of our Catholic brothers and sisters, maybe with this, this rhythm of like actually a place where you can confess your sins to. And we just realized that there was not a place where we could confess our sins. And uh, again, that's one of the practices of infinitum that we've found so beautifully helpful to us is a, a practice of humility, really at the, the heart of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Love that. I love that. So one of the things that it sounds like is that you actually believe that the church can be who Jesus says we can be, that we can truly live into this vision, but we have a lot of work to do, a lot of really hard work, um, especially these days as the curtains are being pulled back and we're seeing there's a whole lot more decay and bleeding um, than what we have failed to admit 
And so, you know, we believe there's, there's a path and we want to keep leaning into that to this transformational living. Um, but what are some of the things that you think the major things that we need to address, the things that we need to respond to, the things that we need to repent um, and speak prophetically into the church? So, so addressing, uh, responding and repenting, what are some of those things? Yeah, and I mean, I guess this is, you know, this is a probably a whole other question for America in some regards, um, where I think like what's being exposed on the American uh, scene particularly is politics, power, you know, just idolatry of power. Yeah. Um, I think racism, you know, um, I would say in Canada too, on a, in some different measures, I think Canada has its own issues around tolerism as a, as a virtue and a misunderstanding of what that is and all kinds of stuff. But in America, I think particularly like the Me Too movement, I think even just this um, sexism at the heart of a patriarchal power of the church and a misunderstanding of even the scripture in that regard, which I think is intertwined, by the way, at the same intersection as racism. So it's a deep, 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 dark <laughs> wound, uh, I think, at the heart of America. So I think all those things are. And then I think there's just a generation that like, one of the things I just, I have a new book coming out in January on better together, how men and women can work together to transform the future. And one of the things I talk about there is just a total misunderstanding of power. Um, and like just the idolization of power, just in general, like what power is, how it works, who has it, how we wield it. Uh, I think there's just a whole lot to learn around power. And one of the things that's helping us um, and hurting us in some ways, but helping us more, I think is just the flatlining structure of the internet. Yeah. Um, where all of a sudden people with limited power and no access to the center of things have a voice. And of course, we know the last reformation happened when the printing press happened at the same time that Martin uh, Luther and his buds had something to say against the power, central power structure of the church. And of course, they, it's not like people didn't try before, um, but the, the difference was that they tried at a time where their voice could carry further uh, and get outside of the centric power of the church to be able to critique it. And I think we're at, living at that kind of day now. So even just the Me Too movement, for example, 19 million tweets uh, from women all around the globe within like a week or something, like something crazy where all of a sudden all of these conversations that would have just been like, oh, I'm so glad you shared it, but like we're never going to air this. We're aired publicly for the first time. So I think like even just power is shifted. Yeah. And I think we can still hang on to our centralization of powers. Like this is true in my life specifically with the denomination that I was part of uh, and what God was calling me to do, which was very much outside of those denominational structures and systems. So it wasn't even like, there was just no way to do it. It wasn't even like, we don't think you should, or like, they, like those power dynamics were a different thing than just like, we don't know how. Yeah. And I think this is what's so profound about what we're doing here. The Jesus collective. Like I think, we're living in a future that isn't here yet, but it's on its way. And we know that it's post-denominational. We know that it's post, you know, this uh, power-centric power model. So that's the collective kind of idea. We know that we're living in a day and age where we need this more than ever before. Uh, and we just don't know how to do it. And I think um, when I heard about and I read about the vision of the Jesus Collective, and I thought about this the last couple of years, this journey I've been on with Infinitum, um, that's what I was saying to these guys is like, I literally just kind of had this like, wow, I think I have a software that works within this hardware. Like we need sort of a network of connectedness, but we also, how will it work? And I honestly think to her, Beth, like without sounding too Pollyanna about it, like 
I have a lot less to say to established structure or to other leaders uh, than I do to myself. I think the best way, kind of like the Uber way, you know, I'm not going to attack the taxis. I'm just going to create the new thing. And I think for me, like my life is about giving myself to the, the reorientation of what God is doing in the world right now. So I want to be about the building of God's kingdom come. And I want to be about showing and exercising and demonstrating what it looks like to have a vibrant Jesus-centered life and invite other people to do the same. And I think that itself is its own rebuke. And just like the early church, when you read that, like people are like, you're doing what? You know, and they're having these like theological symposiums to try to catch up with what God is already doing. Because when people leave Jesus-centered lives, they're off, they're doing these things that are outside of the structures and systems and powers and like what they're allowed to do. And then the structures are trying to keep up with it. So I believe that Jesus Collective has that kind of potential. Like collectively, if we really were to make Jesus the center of our daily discipleship, then all of those things would eventually follow. Um, and that's been a, the case of, of the early church. And it's been the case of the Chinese church and the Iranian uh, revival that's going on right now. And we get to join in that conversation, I think. Yeah. And I love so much about what you shared. I mean, God is, God is at work in this world. God is at work redeeming and restoring creation. Um, God is there. Jesus is there. We simply get to do this. Uh, we simply get to participate in this work. And I think one of the things that I've been thinking about as a pastor is ultimately our people, including ourselves, you know, me, we live our theology. Um, we are living our theology. And so that's why this conversation of formation matters. That there, it, you, you can't talk about mission without formation. Um, that they very much go hand in hand. And I know for me as a pastor, um, I long for our people, yes, the big picture, to participate in the work um, that God is doing in this world, to be on mission, to go where God is going, to do what Jesus is doing, um, and also being imitators of Jesus, living out this theology. And so with that, what are, you know, some of the practices, best practices that you are seeing that, I mean, churches that you're working with um, that are using some of these resources or tools, what are some of the best practices that you're seeing? Yeah, so we have, uh, so what we, uh, what we, I'll just speak about what I'm doing that's helping me in my yeah. life and Infinitum in general, people are interested. We're having sort of a church leaders gathering at the end of September uh, where I'm really excited about how we can use Infinitum to help uh, church leaders figure out how to help disciple their people. Because I think that's one of the great, you know, in, in probably idolatry to consumerism in general, we've, uh, we've lost discipleship along the church uh, journey. So it's about recapturing sort of discipleship, but in this season that we're in in the church. So for me, it's about, you know, following Jesus as a centric part of this is my daily decision to follow Jesus. And it's a decision I make every day. So this is this other kind of awareness that I'm growing is it's not just one intellectual decision I made once upon a time, but this invitation to be born again is an invitation into a new way of life. And it's about being uh, refreshed and renewed and repentance and faith being part of my daily journey. So that's been a really kind of neat uh, that actually happened for me at a recovery meeting I was at where a guy introduced himself as a snake. He said, I feel like a snake. And I remember thinking, finally, a guy who admits it, you know. <laughs> and then he said, I, every time I think I've grown to the capacity that I'm supposed to grow, my skin starts 
you know, my container starts shedding and I realize there's more. And as he spoke, I felt like, again, God took me back to John three and his conversation that he had with Nicodemus about this born again experience and how we kind of think this born again experience is a static thing. Like it happened and it happened on September, you know, 9th, 1980, but really a born again experience is born into a kingdom where actually there's more and more and more and more. And actually the scriptures say it's boundless, which is why we name this infinitum. It's a boundless journey of uh, growth. So it's following Jesus. And for that, that's kind of summed up by Jesus, uh, which is love God and love others. Uh, and then the way that we felt like love has to look like something like it's love is so stripped of a lot of it, a lot of its meaning and kind of like numbed down or hallmarked out that we don't really know what it means. What does love look like in real life? And we kind of hammered it out to three postures that we would practice. So it was a surrender. Uh, so for a Jesus follower, we felt like love looks like surrender, generosity, both reciprocal, like generosity as a reciprocal practice. So we receive and we give freely and then mission or others focused living. So um, surrender, generosity, and mission. So how we do that, so those are the three postures of infinitum. And how we do that is we do daily, weekly, and monthly rhythms. And again, I feel like rhythms are so helpful, uh, even just to think about instead of like, external vows or principles or you know like we 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 did start with some of that language and more and more i just was like you know what like we're just all vowed out like i just feel like if i have to sign another christian contract in my relationship with jesus i'm missing the point like i um anyway so we uh do this daily uh practice so we i start my day with a posture prayer and uh, again i talk to people and they'll just be like you know my i you know i need to learn how to pray and i'll be like well have you set a time and place you know <laughs> and they'll be like no like I mean like in general I need to pray and I'm like yeah but prayer isn't general it's specific like you need to set a time and place like there actually has to be a practice and I think you know one of the things that's been killing me is that like churches are empty but yoga uh, studios are filling and so it's not like there's a lack of desire and one of the things that you'll hear at yoga over and over again is like, this is a practice, like yoga is a practice and, you know, or the gym or exercise or whatever version of this. The reason I use yoga is because I think people are desperate to embody their faith. In other words, they want a faith that's practiced in their actual body and that we've, uh, you know, we, we took that out. I don't know how we took that out because we're like in our Jewish early day practices, they're all the feasts and all the conversations were like dialogue and they were over food and they were like building, let's go build a tent and live in it for three days. I mean, how did we turn that into like sit and listen to a boring sermon? I don't know. But so I wanted to like, we wanted to get to this practice. Like I want to embody this thing. So we do these daily prayers where uh, I set out my intention for the morning with these postures. So I do this confession. I do like surrender. I use my body. Uh, I imagine myself as a tree when I do my mission and I deeply root my feet into the earth, into the love of God. And I imagine my feet going into the love of God. And then I open up my arms as wide as I can and just say like, I also want to grow like Ephesians 3 tells me like into the width and the depth and the height of all that God has and the love that. And uh, so we do this. And then at night I do the examine, um, I do the examine on the postures. Where was I surrendered? Where did I miss opportunities to surrender? I ask God to give me grace and forgive me for those moments, but then also pay closer attention during the day uh, for how I can live that kind of a life. And if I can, and, you know, it's really fascinating to me that something this simple would unlock so many other things. So like when I set my intention for the day, for example, being generous, 
And so what I do with that one is I make a confession that I pull my arms out and I say, I make a confession that actually I'm stingy and I want to hold on to things and I don't want to let go of things and I'm just going to like grab on. And I'm going to choose instead today to open my hands and my life in a posture of generosity. And then I just say, God, would you please give me what I need for today? Which again, hello, Jesus taught us all these things, but it's just like a rediscovery of something so ancient. And so I just ask for what I need today. Like I need vision. I need forgiveness. I need, and here's what I've realized is that when I spend a day and there's a thing that I'm stingy in. So like if someone has wronged me and I'm stingy in my forgiveness towards them, I realize that I need to receive forgiveness. Like I realized that I'm stingy because I don't have it to give, which I used to just beat myself up uh, for that I lacked capacity for forgiveness. And what I realized is that generosity is this reciprocal relationship with God where I'm constantly receiving in order to give out from a resource larger than myself. So, um, so this generous, and what happens is when I pray that way in the day, what'll happen is in the daytime, I'll see like something will happen and like someone will write to me and say, will you do this for me? And my natural inclination is like, no, like I'm too busy and I like blah, 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 blah. And then I'll hear my own self saying, I've postured myself today to be generous and freely I've received. And so freely I'm going to give and it'll change my decision in the moment. And I do this every day. And I know it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but there's some, a lot of neurological study that suggests that what you do, even your postures and your prayer on a daily basis will affect your behavior uh, and alter the way that your brain works. Uh, one of the guys that's uh, in the leadership team of Infinitum is from the UK and he's a leadership coach. So he uses uh, Infinitum as a practice with a lot of like top CEO that he, he coaches in the UK. And he said that it's been amazing how they've been telling stories about how their day has gone based on their intention set in the morning with an Infinitum prayer. Um, so anyway, we daily prayer and then we weekly get together with an Infinitum hub. We call them hubs but a partner or, and these groups are two, we recommend from two to six people. And again, this is just a rage against an individualized uh, faith and say like, we have got to do this again. And this is where those questions of like, who do you confess your sin to? Like who's journeying with you? Who really knows what you're struggling with? But instead of it being like, you know, did you look at porn today? Mm -hmm. um, have you read your Bible for 10 minutes? You know, like, it, it's not like that. It's more like, talk to me about surrender tell me how you're living a surrendered life or tell me about, so we just provide questions. We don't provide curriculum. We just provide questions to get that conversation started around spiritual things. And it, this has been a fascinating, you know, like tell me areas of your life that you feel stingy and that you feel ripped off in right now. And let's talk about that and then pray together. So it's really in so many ways, it's kind of spiritual, basic spiritual formation for dummies. And you don't need like some special spiritual director to make it happen. We're all pilgrims on our way to this kingdom come. So that's what's been really beautiful too, is it's also flatlined a hierarchical structure. I don't need somebody more advanced in my experience as a Christian to help me on my spiritual journey. Because, and I don't know if this is true for you, but what I've discovered is that the newer the person on the journey with Jesus, almost the more rigorous it is for me. And again, this is like something we're taking from the 12 steps, which I think they took it from Jesus. But is this idea of like sponsoring someone, like bring somebody with you, because as you begin to share what's happening with you, and as you begin to advise them on what's happening with them, you're ministered to and you're growing in your own personal faith so that's been an, an incredible realization for me 
And also just even to shed the fear that I have around actually being myself uh, is also just been surprising to me. I, I would have thought like I didn't have that much fear, but as you really enter into this, like, this is where I'm tempted and this is where I need you to pray and just feeling like, ah, I'm going to wait for a disappointed person to look at me with like disgust and find instead someone who has similar struggles and is willing to pray and to contend with me and to give me some ideas. And then the third uh, practice is monthly. And that's really collective too, as much as we can, but we just send out monthly challenges and you accept them or not as a hub. So, um, and they range from like, you know, fasting and prayer, uh, which is, you know, a lost discipline in many respects in the Western church as we like also have a God called comfort um, to like, um, what was one I re- Oh, one person wrote in one time and he said that he was having trouble in the uh, generosity area of his, of his uh, journey with needing credit for things. He realized that he was really stingy in his area of credit so that if someone, he had done something and someone hadn't noticed it, he would feel ripped off. And so he decided in his hub to attack this spirit of stinginess in his own life. And so what he did was he just did for one month, he did a generous act every day anonymously. And he said by the end of the 30 days, which is again, we're not talking about like crazy complex monastic living for three years. The end of 30 days of him just attacking that stingy spirit, he said he was free. And and so he wrote this into our group and we were just like, that is such a cool challenge. So we just yeah. threw it out to the rest of the group as a, one of the monthly challenges was just just attack the spirit of stingy or the need for credit just by doing one generous thing a day and not telling anybody about it. Hey, so Danielle, just real practical are, things like that. How Sorry. many people are doing this? Like, yeah, a, so it's, like how many yeah. people are in the hub? Oh, with him? No, just in, in, in the hub. So you, you have these hubs. How many people are on average are in these hubs? Oh, so we say two to six. Okay. So that's our guideline. But we, I mean, yeah. we have no, it's literally, it's uncontrolled. It's like, here it is, use it, you know, and let us know how it's going. So it's actually really hard for us in some ways to measure. Uh, we know there's about 30,000 people that are practicing infinitum around the world. It's in a few different languages. Um, now, but practicing, you know, I don't, are they doing their daily prayers? I don't know. You know, like, are they, is it every week they're meeting? I don't know. And I know that there's way more than that that are using like things like the daily prayer. Uh, I know that like, you know, I, I run into leaders all the time who are like, oh, by the way, I use that prayer for all my training. For example, for like all the alpha youth leaders in Canada use the daily infinitum prayer as part of their training. And they just were like, is that okay? You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) So, but there's more, you know, it's not just a daily prayer, although that might be a good beginning for somebody, but we actually want people to go deeper into the boundless nature of what it means to live a Jesus-centered life. And I I honestly think, well, I know in my life, this is a game changer in terms of just a way to do it. This doesn't have to be this lifelong thing or three years of monastic living or like 30 bucks a spiritual director conversation. Like this can be a lived thing. Not to, I like if I'm all for spiritual direction too, I don't mean to be like, that's not good. I'm just saying like for the everyday average person, what does this look like? And it actually isn't that complicated. It's quite simple. It's just not easy because we have to do it. So help me um, on the postures. So I, um, I really love this because, um, so John Mark Homer and this guy, Mark Sayers have a podcast called this cultural moment and it's fantastic. And so what, one thing I love about what you're doing is you kind of are positioning the need for this 
in a post-Christian secular reality. So what they say in this podcast is that uh, it used to be that Christianity would go around colonizing cultures and colonizing people groups. Now secularism is colonizing Christianity and colonizing Christians. And it's colonizing us into Herculean power and, and control and the God of comfort and individualism and autonomy and these things that you're, you're highlighting as these are needs that are in the air we breathe. And so we have to counterform ourselves very intentionally in order to not be so colonized and, and spiritually formed by our culture. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about the, pra- the postures. And so help kind of nuance those for people engaging today, are those actions, are those attitudes, are those thoughts? When you say posture, what do you, what do you specifically mean by that? Yeah, I mean all of that. Um, and that's what we mean by that. So like when I do my daily prayer, it's actually a physical posture that I take when I say the prayer just to embody the prayer. I just, it helps me. Um, there's a podcast of me leading uh, kind of more of a contemplative version of the podcast prep that's helpful there's an infinitum podcast uh and that's about 10 minutes long just infinitum on all your podcasts okay awesome yeah Yeah. check it out yeah but i mean by the postures what i mean are like decisions um attitude you know so even like my kids and we're working on this thing called infinitum's family infinitum families where we talk about discipling as a family unit like what does it look like so i we talk about sending prayer. So we send our kids to school, mm-hmm. living, surrendered, generous, and missional lives. So like we send them off before they go to the day doing these hand postures. You know, okay. my life is not my own. I belong to God. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm going to receive what I need today for school. So even this morning when I did it with my sons, you know, I said, what do you need? You know, and my son was just like, like, I need to pay attention, you know? <laughs> so we were just like, God, like he needs to pay attention. Like you got to help him with what he needs. And then, also this idea of like looking for where to give what God has given us out today and uh, being missional in terms of engaging with needs. So where are the kids in need? How can you help your teacher in need? Like how do you become, and just this idea of like, you know, even how did, when did we separate parenting from discipling? Like when did that happen and how did that happen? And like, how can we get that back? And, but without like none of us have any extra hours in the day. Right. So how do we actually infuse these po- Jesus-like postures into what it means to live our lives. And I think, uh, I don't think it's that hard. Like I said, I just think it's intentionality and it's actually doing it, not just talking about it. And I think that's one of the things we really do well as a church. And I'm guilty of this. I talk about things a lot, but I practice them a lot less. And I think if we practice more uh, than we preach, we would have a fantastic witness. So surrender, this is lordship. Now, here's what's really fascinating to me. One of the feedbacks we've gotten from people practicing this is we had this guy who kind of apologetically wrote wrote in and said, you know, I didn't have another Christian to do a hub with. So I asked a few non-Christian friends of mine if they wanted to try following Jesus for a while with me. And, um, And they both said yes. So my hub is actually people who are trying out Christianity. Wow. And we were like, what like we and then we were so rebuked because we were like well of course you could like we were had this conversation like can you even do that like that's not what we made this thing like what is happening but then we were like that's exactly what jesus did 
Like that's the invitation of the Christian life is to practice a way of life that could change everything. And, you know, we have these conversations a lot about like, you, you know, when did the disciples get saved exactly? You know, like which revelation of Jesus was it that like sealed the deal? And I think the same, so I think it actually, for me, it's even starting to change the game on what is even evangelism, you know, like what, or what it could mean to actually practice and invite people to practice something uh, and again, you know, we go to this like yoga as an example, just saying like, nobody signed me up to uh, Buddhism. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not like a, I'm not a, actually a Buddhist. Um, but somebody invited me to practice this, you know what I mean? Like this thing right. that I actually do. Right. So I just wonder, um, I, I wonder how much we're missing out on not you know, making Christianity a belief system instead of a practice based belief system. Yeah. Yeah, something that we're inviting people to come and practice tangibly, practice with us. Yes, I think that's. I think in a post-Christian culture, that's something that we need to think a lot deeper about. I think there's something there. Um, so we need to wrap up in a few, just a few more minutes. Um, and I wanted Tara Beth to give you a chance to maybe um, I don't know, just just share from a pastor's perspective. What kind of questions would you have as you think about okay, how do I take this and put it, if I were to take something like this, how would I put it into my church? Or how would I unleash this into my church? What would that, what would that look like? I don't want to put a question in your mouth, Tara Beth, you're a pastor, yeah. but as a pastor, what questions pop for you? Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm constantly feeling as a pastor is we're doing too much. Um, and I think that there's often a lot of pressure, at least churches like Paznaz, uh, we think that we need to keep betting down more programs. Um, and I think one of the things that we're learning is we are over-programming um, our people. And as a result, consequently, um, they are doing to make sure these programs happen. happen um, and consequently, we aren't um, practicing. And so in what ways, you know, is this different than another program? Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I just put the link up there for people. I, I guess for me, it's because it's a daily, weekly, monthly practice, it can be done it can infuse programs. So, and this is one of the conversations we're got. That's why we're meeting with church leaders. Yeah. Um, it, so it isn't a program yeah. Uh, yeah. at all. It's a practice, but yeah. it actually, one of the questions I get from some church leaders is how do you put the existing churches? This has been a fantastic tool, by the way, for church planters. Cause if you start with this, mm -hmm. it kind of changes everything, which is kind of neat. Um, because that's just what you, you just literally invite people into this practice as what it means to be a Christian. And then it, it it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way of protecting church from programs actually. But when you're already have existing programs that can be really challenging. So because it be becomes a competitive uh, thing. So I would say that um, some people have practiced using their, some programs they already do and kind of introducing infinitum into programs, kind of embedding it. Yep. Uh, yep. And then with the hopes that then it can last, it can last way longer than that program. Um, but yeah, that is, and I think another question a lot of leaders have had, church leaders have had is like, where does the church get synergy from infinitum? Like, how do you collectively uh, practice infinitum? And 
that's been a conversation I think that we're, we're needing to have. And I don't know if it's like around the monthly challenges where the whole church is challenged that month and you celebrate sort of all that God is doing during that month. Or I don't know, there's something where there's not enough because it's like designed to be usable for people whenever, anywhere. It almost is like hard to nail down if you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's so uh, everyone can practice it that it's like, well, what does it mean if we're all practicing it? So there's a few, there's definitely a few questions that, we have to figure out with church leaders. So I wish you were uh, coming to our gathering, but if you do have questions and uh, just even ideas and stuff, like it's a wide open, we're, uh, we really want to serve the renewing and expansion of the church um, and just kind of keep up with what Jesus is inviting us to. Awesome. Danielle, who's, who's providing the content? So the challenges, the prayers, like what, what is that? Who's feeding into that? Yeah, so the challenges are, well, it's, we, it is collective in the sense that we ask people who are practicing Infinitum to send in as much stuff as they want, as they can. Mm-hmm. So like I, I shared that one, uh, there's many more of those monthly challenges. So things that people have done within their hubs that are working, because again, we want to keep it practice-based. So if we know that something's already been a real great tool, we want to just share it collectively. Uh, but for the most part, there's a team, there's five of us that meet and and kind of lead infinitum. So we're the ones that have designed the framework of infinitum. And that's a combination that that a few of them are going to be coming to uh, Toronto in a couple of uh, weeks here or in a week or something. Mm -hmm. Countdown's on. Mm -hmm. Um, Phil Wall, he's from England. Ian May, who is from England. My husband, Steve, uh, Court and I, and then there's a few other people like graphic design, also church planter, graphic designer, and uh, a guy named Aaron White, who's helping us with some deeper curriculum that we're developing to help people go deeper into surrender and generosity and mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of his feedbacks, he's been doing incarnational community, and he's a, a great thinker, theologian, practitioner, 24-7 prayer, national director for Canada. Mm-hmm. He's lived in the downtown east side for over 15 years. He's just journey with people through addiction. I mean, he's just really beautiful Jesus follower. And he said to me, uh, while he was practicing infinitum, he just said to me, you know, you got to be careful because this, this just could be a gimmick. Mm. Like it could just be a gimmick. Like, is it really just enough to say a daily prayer? Like it, and, and how do you protect it from just being this like gimmick and people like check it off? Like, how is it different than just wearing like a, what would Jesus do bracelet during that phase, right. you know? So it was a really good, I was like, well, oh, that's a really good question, Aaron. Like what, how do we protect it from being that? And how do we keep offering people even deeper knowing ourselves as leaders that the, the more we're into this, the deeper we go. This isn't just, we don't get experts. We become beginners at another, at new levels. Right. Right. And, uh, and so anyway, him and I produced uh, using the Beatitudes. So just this like signature uh, invitation from Jesus using the Beatitudes. We produced this curriculum that we're hoping maybe churches might want to use it for small groups or people just want to might use it on their own um, time where they enter into how to actually do these postures on a deeper level. And so uh, is that done? And then if it is, how can people find it? Yeah, so we we're just uh, we've filmed all the videos and we're just creating um, that format. So stay tuned; it'll be on infinitumlife.com when it gets up. Uh, our aim is to have uh, one of the uh, cohorts, so the surrender cohort, done by uh, September 30th for our gathering, so we can uh, allow people that come to that to take it and pilot it. Oh, cool. See how it goes. Yeah, great.
Well, um, this has been really rich. And so we want to give people who are participating a chance to interact with you, Danielle. And so uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, if you scroll down to the kind of the menu bar and click on participant, there you can find your name. It kind of populates and you can hit a button that says raise hand and then that helps us to be able to see you. So like Cole uh, Dulles has raised his hand and so we would love to give Cole a chance to, to chat, to with, chat you. with you. All right, good. It came through. Um, so... Um, when I first got into ministry, I worked with a corps at a Salvation Army. I was actually fired for many of the values that I was pursuing, maybe in a young and arrogant way. But even now, I encounter a lot of tension in my current circumstances with pushing for more spiritual practices, justice-centered practices. And so I just was hoping you could speak to the ways that you've navigated tension with other leaders um, as you have pioneered so many of these things. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I'm no longer an officer in the Salvation Army, so that might help you. Um, and so I resonate with the tension for sure. And I would say that one of my experiences after, you know, 23 years in many different countries is it really all depends on who, who it is you're talking about. I think this is true of all denominations and programs and systems everywhere. So some of the people that I've met and led and also been led by are some of the most spiritual, vibrant, justice-centered people I've ever met in the world, to tell you the truth. And then some of them are not. <laughs> so I think a lot just depends on who it is. And then I think there is some wisdom in terms of how we present some things. So one of the things that I love right now, one of my favorite postures, and I think, I hope Infinitum is uh, cultivating this uh, in people, is just a, a life of curiosity you know, a life of discovery rather than a life of, I've, I know something better than you, uh, or, you know what I mean? Or you're wrong and I'm right, which I spent a lot of my early days convincing people they were wrong and I was right. Uh, these days, I'm more interested in telling people what my own experience and hope is and how much I'm learning and how much I don't know and how much I need to know. And I feel like that posture alone is a really super helpful one. Uh, it can alleviate that, um, whatever that tension that happens with leaders is. I do think that the Jesus way is not conducive to a hierarchical uh, structure of power and control. So I do think that ultimately, especially within systems that are built on hierarchical power, I mean, hierarchies of the devil, it's a result of the fall. And I think this is true of gender uh, as well. You know, like it's, it's not, we don't want to aim for less than uh, shared uh, leadership and shared leadership, this model of mutual thriving. This is the greatest model. This is what Jesus came to show us and then showed us what that looked like through his own leadership. So I think that's what we're always trying to aim for. So whenever you're trying to aim for that and you're in sort of structures that are built on hierarchical dynamics of power, it's always going to be, oh, and it was for Jesus. He ended up crucified. So I think Just you're doing that. better than him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's at all helpful. Like, embrace the pain, I guess. I don't know. Uh, again, it helps me to really focus on, like, it, are these opportunities for me to grow more like uh, Jesus? And where is surrender and generosity and mission a part of this, this in my life, you know? And one of my worst uh, points in my own journey with a system, I was stuck in a place I didn't want to be. And... Um, I felt really shut down in so many ways. And I made, I was in a prayer room. Again, space, time, prayer. That's a good idea. Always a good idea. And I remember God 
basically prompting me saying, you know, Danielle, why don't you just write a list of your best life? Like what you would do if all the limits were gone. And I wrote this list down. And then when I read over the list, it was everything I could do right where I was. Mm. And I couldn't believe it because I was like, this cannot be my best life because it feels like it's not. But like you think about it, like you can tell people about Jesus freely, like you can share your life with other people freely. You can get everything that you need from God freely. You can give it, you know, like you can engage with the needs of the world freely. Like there's nothing really that limits uh, the Jesus focused kingdom of God. I just think we're so stuck in the hierarchical control, like how things externally work that we get confused that this kingdom business is in the inside out one. Mm. Thanks. So Cole. I, don't, I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. It is. Thank you. Grace. That's great. <clears throat> so um, my friend Angela has a question. So we want to. And my friend Angela. Oh, cool. Angela. Angela. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. Okay. Okay. I didn't know I had to push my button. Hello, friend. Hi. Uh, so I've been in a hub now for four months, and we're we love it. Like we right. love it. It's so it's a game changer. And uh, we have a sticking point that I have promised my buddies I would ask. <laughs> but the further we've pressed into mission, the more we are wrestling with the villains of the story. Which I know you're going to push back on me on this, but the more we have worked to empathize and open our eyes to the marginalized people groups, ugh, it's just, we're struggling with that universal love concept. So what lenses do you use? I mean, you confront, I was listening to your podcast this week about you praying down the drug dealer on the corner during your prayer room thing was like, okay, I guess that's a form of love. You're trying to pray him out of business. Mm -hmm. Can you just speak a little bit to what lens you use or what practices you use for universal love specifically when it comes to the villains of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, telling the truth is a form of love and kindness, you know, like I think telling the truth and inviting people into the truth. So you can't have, you know, you can't have a changed uh, life without repentance, right. Without a, a real realization of wrong behavior. Okay. Um, I would say like, I, uh, I'm not sure that I, I really fully got this. Like when I was working with exploited women specifically, like I kicked several cars that pulled over while I was talking to women in Jesus's good name. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not sure I've got this down. Um, so I get it. Like there is like this, uh, thing that you're just like, that is not cool. And I think, you know, we catch a little bit of this with Jesus at the temple, right? Where he's just like, you're doing something so wrong here. Like I have got to overthrow it and this isn't going to be okay. And I think that's okay to not be okay. That's a, its own form of engagement. One of the things I think is fascinating about that is specific. I, I was really convicted about this the other day because when Jesus turns over the temples, that's always, I'm always like, he got angry and he turns over the temple and that's like justifying my own like ah, institution or whatever it is. <laughs> and um, exploitation, you know, like, and the next verse says in that passage, it says that then all the lame and the blind and the uh, children came to him, which I think is really fascinating because obviously he wasn't so enraged uh -huh. that he was pushing people away. He was angry, but then also accessible still. So I think that's a fast, like, what was that posture and how did he, how did he do that? And those things were obviously in the way. And he removed them for a way to be made. So I just, mm. anyway, I think it's fascinating. I think uh, for me, 
I try to stay just on the on the side of of hope and grace and lament. So I think that's a good sign that you're struggling because the struggle means you're on the right. I want to struggle with it. And then of course, all the peacemaking skills, you know, where you see your own, you try to be really honest about your own injustices, like the way that you've required grace and how you find it difficult to forgive and how you exploit people for your own benefit. And like, right when I'm about to like rage against you know, the unjust practices of the cotton industry, I remind myself that I just bought a shirt for two ninety nine because it was a deal and I couldn't resist. And, you know, right when I'm about to be like, you vipers and dogs, I'm like, and I'm, and I'm in, right I'm the viper, I'm the dog. Yeah. So I just think it's just an alignment, but I will say too, with the missional aspect of things, I've also really stopped just saying it's just a marginalized like I'm only on the marginalized side as though there's a side right and I've really started going like the people closest to me my neighbors and then the deepest needs of the world it's all you know Jesus was was there for all like he he met with the Pharisees and he met with the sinners so it's that uh it's that posture has helped me too thank you thank you you're welcome <laughs> yeah. So would love to hear more questions. And while you're thinking about your question, uh, Danielle, I know that you, you guys, uh, how long ago did you move back to Toronto? Uh, two years now. Okay. <clears throat> so you're, you're in a neighborhood there, your family's, you know, this kind of imperfect base camp of love in whatever house or apartment building or wherever it is that you're living. And you talk about this this mission posture. And I like how you talked about it where you start like with yourself and then you start with your neighbors and then you start like then to the big kind of problem needs of the world. What does that look like for you these days uh, where you find yourself living in Toronto? What does it look like? How does that mission practice take you and your family into your own neighborhood? Yeah, that's a great question because this has probably been the neighborhood we've struggled in the most because it's, we live in actual affluent neighborhood in a house kind of the nicest place we've ever lived. And um, so I'm just like kind of a bit repulsed by it to tell you the truth. It's uh, the opposite of what I imagine my life looking like. So it's been a real, that's been a real area of surrender uh, for me and, uh, and generosity too um, in receiving and giving to people around me and who I would prefer to judge from a distance but live up close to. So that's been a fascinating thing. And then also, of course, I'm on the road all the time. So it's its own uh, its own conversation. One of the things we did right to kick off our start was we uh, we had a meet the meet your new neighbor uh, night a uh, day mm-hmm. at our house. Mm-hmm. So we made these little cards up with our picture, our family picture on it, and said, and we're in a house that belongs to the Salvation Army. My husband's a Salvation Army officer, so it comes with the job. Mm-hmm. So what happens with these houses is that people come and go all the time, and they don't really engage in the community because they're not really owners here. You know what I mean? They're just like staying here while they do their job. So we, um, so we did this meet your neighbor how, uh, thing and it was uh, eggnog and cookies. And, um, I think I have to, I think my, can you hear me still? Yeah. Phones are dying. Okay. And so we had 27 neighbors show up. It was just, I was, it, it was, and it was bizarre. 20. Yeah, it was crazy. And they came for eggs, uh, eggnog and, uh, cookies. And they were all like kids from like my kids school and their parents. And then they all got in the room and they were like, Oh, you're in 196. And they had never really met each other. They'd lived there for 10 years and nobody ever met each other. And, 
And then we decided to do a Halloween party. Like a, we got a bonfire and put it out in the front and we asked a few neighbors on either side if they would get together with us. And so, you know, we're just trying to be at least present here uh, missionally. Um, you know, my kids both go to the school locally. So I try, I'm not super good at it to tell you the truth. Cause I'm otherwise engaged. Uh, we do go to a local Salvation Army church about six minutes from our house, and they have an, a really beautiful food bank. Uh, mm. Actually, this afternoon, my husband was there, and they serve really the nations, mostly Muslims, um, mm. food packages, newcomers to America. Mm-hmm. And that's been a fantastic way of engaging with neighbors that are beyond this neighborhood. Um, so we've loved that. And then on Sundays after our meeting, a lot of those people that come to the food bank, we invite to our house after the meeting for an open uh, community meal. Mm. Uh, so we had like 15 here last Sunday and 19 here the Sunday before just, and from four different nations with their kids and just really, we basically just say like, was there anything that happened during the meeting that was ministered to you and mm. kind of let's just eat and pray together. Nothing super crazy goes on there, but uh, those have been some beautiful opportunities for me to engage missionally in my own community. Oh, that's really great. That's- yeah, so I want to create a little bit of awkward silence for someone to jump in with a question. Uh, Angela's asking, are there plans for an app, like an Infinitum app? On Do you have an app? And then she was saying Android. Is there an app on Android? Yeah, we're working on it. You know, the problem with one of the problems in terms of limited limitations with our Infinitum journey is just money. <laughs> huh. Money. It sounds so unspiritual to say, but we made it free and uh, we made it free out of a conviction that we didn't want to limit people from experiencing this. Like, so we just made it free. And we also, we really all didn't want it to belong to a denomination because we felt like it should, it's this, we really feel like we're entering into a new, a kingdom coming and post-denominational. So we just really, so we've had a couple offers like denominations have wanted to buy it. Uh, but we've just resisted. We just didn't feel like God wanted us to go that way. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out a way to uh, propel infinitum further without selling it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, if anyone has any kingdom uh, entrepreneurial ideas, so we're, I mean, we're trying to figure it out, but right now just the, the founders, the people who are practicing uh, we'll give back, and that's how we're sort of doing it. Nobody actually full-time works or runs Infinitum. It's all a labor of love on the side. Um, and so that itself is its own fun. Like, no one's getting anything out of this except the love of having people fall in love with Jesus, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, we just got to figure out a way to pay for those things. But uh, there needs to be a total app uh, and website redo, we've discovered, uh, as things are growing. But uh, we'll just get there one thing at a time. Do you have, like, a, <clears throat> a Kickstarter? Or any, any way for how, – how could people donate if they wanted to? Yeah, donate? you can contribute online. So, at Infinitum Life, there is – it's uh, it's there. I'm trying, to f- I'm trying to remember how it is. It's, like, partner or something like that. And then you can make a donation if you want. Uh, or if you wanted to be a monthly partner, you can. So that that might be the way that we uh, that we grow the movement for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you see the question from Danny there? Yeah. So the twelve steps can be life giving, but also challenging. Indeed. 
which area of infinitum have people struggled with as they communicated with you? The number one struggle for people practicing infinitum is the daily connect with the hub. I'm sorry, the weekly connect with the hub. So the hub in general, like the meeting with other people to discuss, like to encourage each other along the journey, that's the number one area of struggle. And this has actually been fascinating. Like this has been such a struggle for people to even start. Like mm. people are terrified. They have no, like, and this is what we're discovering out of the feedback of Infinitum is a lot of people don't have any friends or don't have any friends that are like, can go beyond a surface conversation to have a spiritual conversation. So people were terrified to have a spiritual conversation with a friend, which all of us that designed Infinitum are in incarnational community church planners. So we're just like, what? Like, we're just yeah. like, like what? Like, have we done nothing with our lives? So, um, and then also the, all of like a whole bunch of people are like, can you just, is there a hub I can join online? Um, because they're terrified to have this conversation in. Wow. Yeah. So that's its own, I mean, it's its own whole conversation and it's been really interesting and we've been resisting because we're like, yeah, no, like Christianity's live face to face. Like this is a thing, you know what I mean? Like this is, you have to like do it. So we've had like, um, we do like an in, how to start an infinitive hub primer. And then we do like a how to have an infinitive hub conversation, like a guide. So that literally has like a, this is the question you ask. And this is the, this is how you ask somebody. And then we have this whole thing where it's like, think about three people that you may consider and then start praying for them and then give them an opportunity to try it for one month and see how it goes. Like we're just trying to like help people. And then just actually a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know, why are we resisting an online infinitum hub beginning like maybe mm -hmm. not as the end but maybe it could be the beginning in a world and, and I, I was studying the barna research on the next gen conversation and realizing like maybe this online thing is just how you know this is more and more how life is going and it's not illegitimate it's a legitimate form of connection it's just different than what we understand so i wonder if that might be something coming in the future for infinitum is just to, to start maybe it's called a starter hub if you need a place to start, here's a place where, a, you know, a list of people that might want to do a FaceTime with you once a month or something. Anyway, yeah. figuring that out. But that is by one, like by far, that's the number one, which I think red flag, red flag, red flag. Like, let's pay attention to this. People can't have spiritual conversations with themselves. No. Um, and, and I think that's one of the, in terms of Jesus Collective, that's one of the things we're seeing is. Uh, people are like, I talked to one friend in Iowa and he, he's a pastor and he's like, I don't know another like-minded pastor who's asking the same questions, who's being kind of renovated by the same focus on Jesus. I don't know anybody within driving distance. And so he's having to find that connection in, in virtual places and uh, yeah. online and whatever. And that's one of the visions for Jesus collective is that, we can gather online and be able to shrink the distance between us in these virtual spaces to be able to have these kinds of conversations. Well, and maybe that's a conversation we can keep having together is how we can maybe merge a platform that like you could have a starter uh, hub mm -hmm. on a weekly practice, yeah. oh, you know, not really just philosophically or theologically, but like a practice of your own spirituality. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, what are you offering this resource to other what sort? Oh, here we go. Just a second. Just wait, I'm on the. <laughs> I forgot to move. That's awesome. Um, say hi. This is Moses. Hi. Hi, Moses. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, we are. We are. Like I said, we're developing this course, which we're hoping will really help church leaders uh, help their uh, people go deeper. And even conversations with folks like Alpha, for example, I'm a huge Alpha fan. Yeah, uh, I love it. I think it's been so instrumental in unifying the church uh, on the person of Jesus. And anyway, I'm on their uh, national board here in Canada. And I, you know, even with them, I've had lots of conversations about like what happens after Alpha, you know? Yep. Where do people go? Like, and how do they go deeper and uh, have even more meaningful conversations and encounters with a practice of Christ following? Um, so that's been a, that's also been a fantastic thing, but we're hoping that course might be a, a way to do that. Um, and that'll be, people will pay for that course, which hopefully will pay for the course. Right. And then maybe help feed into infinitum. Okay. That's great. I'm loving the tour of your home, by the way. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> did you yes. see my husband pass in the hallway? I did. I did. I, I, I tell, him, tell him we said hi. Yeah. Okay. Says hi. It's team ministry 101 going on right That's here. Right. Right I love it. Yeah. So we have, uh, we have two more questions and I'll let you pick which one you want to respond to. And then we need to, we're going to transition and after you kind of share a little bit more, take your time. And uh, then we're going to break into groups. Again, the vision of Jesus collective is that we collect. And so we want to, uh, connect with each other. And so we're going to break anybody who's on the call here into groups of four or five and give you a chance to connect with each other and just, just say hi and introduce yourselves where you're from and like what brought you here. Um, those kind of things. We can make some connections. Uh, okay. I'm going to, I'm just going to go with how do you advice of launching this at our church? I think uh, this is the conversation we're going to have with the church leaders in a week or so. So I feel like I want to tell you after uh, hearing from all of these guys, but I think it's as easy as introducing the, your small group, making a small group, a hub at the beginning to kind of mm -hmm. say like, this is, and using the questions that we use as a way of spiritual formation uh, for them and then inviting them to practice the daily prayer themselves and then the monthly challenges, I think, would work well as a church. You know, like, it, I mean, it's broad enough. And I think what's really cool about it, like, if the monthly challenges, you know, to give to a, one of the monthly challenges and generosity is to give to an organization that you're not affiliated with. So you'll get nothing back from it, just to be generous. Uh, and what a beautiful thing that month to do to celebrate as a church. I mean, you don't even have to do it as a whole church, but to celebrate all of your people giving to something that doesn't benefit them. Yes. Uh, yes. What a beautiful practice that would be to celebrate at the end of the month and just maybe have people share about how that journey has been enriching their spiritual life, that kind of thing. So actually, I don't think it's as complicated as we think it is. I think it's kind of simple, which is maybe what makes it complicated, right? Because we want it to be harder. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's that easy. Just consider a small group a hub and uh, go from there. Powerful. Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time. One of the things that I loved about our conversation today is you gave us practical tools, but I also feel like my imagination has been fed um, through your stories that just brought so much hope. I think sometimes in the day in and the day out of ministry and pastoring, um, our imaginations can get a little anemic um, and we get weary. And we need to hear these stories of real-life transformational stories, boots on the ground, practices, and then hearing the fruits of that. So I just want to thank you for, for making it so personal and real, bringing it home and sharing part of your life with us and some of your stories. I know um, I feel like my imagination has been fed, and I would imagine many others as well. So thank you so much. You're welcome.
Thanks for having me, guys. That's yeah. been Thanks, Danielle. How, how can we pray for you and your ministry in, in this season? Yeah, so I felt like uh, Ephesians 3, like I think I shared that earlier, has just been kind of what I've been called to these days, which is to be rooted and established in the love of God. So to really pay attention to those secret deep places and to keep mm-hmm. deepening my own life, but then also wide, high length, uh, sort of sky's the limit. And I, I had this occasion with God where I was like, surely it's one or the other, you know, and I felt like God said, no, it's both. It's both. And um, so you could be praying for that, that I would be rooted, but also uh, going to the places, the heights, whatever the width that God wants me to go to. So mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Great. Will do. Thank you. This has been great today. This is the uh, third one of these that we've tried. And each time, I think it just brings out another aspect of the DNA that we're just in the early days of shaping. So that's something that we're looking for when we do these kind of things is we sense that people are using common language and that we are united around this theme of Jesus centricity. But it's so early and exciting to see, oh, they wait, look at it. There's our DNA kind of starting to take shape. And I think I've kind of seen that again today, everything from the various speakers, just starting with a recognition that God is doing something. It's not just us making something happen. We are partnering with a movement that God is raising up. I heard that reference to a couple of times earlier in the the time today. Um, I saw it modeled in just the humility, the down to earth nature of the people who contributed today, the sense of collective and togetherness that seemed to resonate with people. That's what we want to be about. I loved seeing the DNA take shape when Tara Beth and Danielle were talking about our relationship with power, the way leadership is being redefined. Um, like those are things we just want to cultivate and name as characteristics of what we want this network to be about. And in these early days, that's all just taking shape. So you're part of that. Um, so practically speaking, we just recognize that there's a number of people on a call like this today who have different levels of awareness or engagement with Jesus Collective in this early season. That's awesome. And we want to celebrate that and make sure you know you're welcome here. Um, but we're also not shy to invite you to keep leaning in. If you sense that this is something that might benefit you, your ministry, or peers that you know, or other churches that you know, we're not shy to say, invite them in and spread the word. Um, we've committed in this early season, as you've heard us reference, John just recently you know, mentioned we're in a pilot. We're committed to moving at the speed of relationships. So what that mm-hmm. means is we're benefiting from many voices speaking into this. We really mean that. We're trying to take a listening posture and it's, I'm a cook, so I love food analogies. It's that slow bake that's really going to bring out the flavor as we resist the temptation to just build a whole bunch of stuff. But instead, yeah, we're moving forward, but we're listening as we go. And we're putting out engagement opportunities to invite more and more people in to be part of the conversation and speak into this as a collective. Um, So there's a few things to keep in mind if you want to get engaged or keep tracking with us. On the leadership formation front, We've got more of these type of interactive podcasts coming. Um, John has got a great lineup that is planned for the next several months, every six weeks or so. Um, We've got uh, Ephraim Smith joining us in October. If you don't know who he is, look him up. He's a wonderful leader that we're privileged to have join us. We've got other leaders following that in early December and beyond. So check out JesusCollective.com for the schedule for more of these type of podcasts and keep giving us your feedback. We're going to post these online as well so that people can hear them after the fact and share them. We're just figuring out the right place and vehicle to do that. Um, the other thing that we're really excited about that's very real, um, that's just under development, is the idea of online leadership collectives. Again, John within the leadership formation stream is doing a great job with his team 
of putting together these cohorts of 10 to 12 people that are going to be journeying starting in October for six weeks on the theme of post-Christian pastoring and really doing that in an intensive relational cohort-based way with coaching alongside that as well. And there's going to be potentially more, more cohorts like that coming over the next six to eight months. Um, so if you're interested in that, find us on our website, but contact John. He can give you great information about how to find out more about that and see if it's a good fit for you. But we'd love to get more and more people installed in real on the ground learning experiences that are even more intensive than what today is all about. Um, beyond that, just in Jesus Collective more broadly, we've got some gathering shaping up, uh, one in Toronto on October 23rd at the Meeting House and one in Vancouver on October 30th. Those are great opportunities for people to just come listen, be part of the conversation, hear the vision, contribute to the vision, um, unpack what Jesus-centered really means with Brexit. So there's some great development possibilities on that day too, not just information. Um, so we'd love to see you there. There's no commitment that comes out of that kind of a day. But again, it gives people a taste of what we're about and also helps shape what Jesus Collective is doing. So October 23rd at the Meeting House in the Toronto area and October 30th in Vancouver. And we're just in the process of trying to plan a few of those opportunities in the U.S. in early 2020 as well. So stay posted for that. And one thing we're excited to share too, if you're someone or you know someone who is interested not just even in tracking every once in a while with Jesus Collective, but really hearing more about what ongoing relational um, belonging with Jesus Collective could look like beyond this pilot in 2020 and beyond. We're really excited to be planning our first partnership summit. That's just the placeholder language we're using for now in May 2020, where we'd love to just take Jesus Collective to the next level in terms of launching it more widely, really, really casting a vision at that point for where this network could go and giving people more practical details about what ongoing partnership and relational engagement could look like. So put that on your calendar if you think that that sounds like you, and that's a place where you'd want to be with others from all over North America and even into the UK. We're building relationships to really just pray into this network and envision what it could mean to take it out of pilot and beyond. So we're excited about that. And just the last thing I'll mention too, just because Danielle brought it up, we are also in the early stages of putting together a digital platform, which would be a place where we'd facilitate just building community within this movement so people can actually see each other and know where each other are and be more united um, in a very physical way, um, but also to share resources and to create more liquidity and distribution of really good quality resources, whether it's like Infinitum or other things that hopefully we find along the way. We want to create a curation zone um, for this movement where people can access the best of Jesus-centered ministry resources that help them as leaders and as churches. So that's coming too. Just be praying for that, and there will be opportunities to engage with that in a beta way over the next several months potentially as well. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. John, thanks for giving us a few minutes just to talk more broadly about what Jesus Collective is up to. Um, and if we haven't heard from you, we don't know you personally, we're about relationships. So get in touch with us. You can find our contact info on jesuscollective.com. Um, we'd love to just meet you and talk to you and get to know you. Yeah. And for those of you who are um, listening, but maybe not following in the chat, we just put links to the things that Danielle mentioned. Uh, Danny put up a great book share in the chat. There's some ways to reach out to us. If you're interested in this uh, kind of post-Christian cohort, it's called online learning collective where we're really digging into how do we engage secular people? How do we translate this Jesus-centered way to people who have no prior knowledge or experience of Jesus or his community? Uh, how do we pastor our churches in this 
in this new frontier, which is exciting and challenging. And so, yeah, we're excited to launch that in October. Thanks for listening. And hey, don't forget to check in at JesusCollective.com where you can learn more about us, join our mailing list, find info about upcoming online and in-person events, all that good stuff. Or you can find us on social media too. And listening is such an important part of our journey, especially in these early days. So you can feel free to reach out to us with ideas and feedback and suggestions. You can always connect with us by email at connect at JesusCollective.com. We'd love to hear from you.